Ephesians chapter 4. Several weeks ago, we saw from the New Testament what God expects of a pastor and what a church should be able to expect from a pastor. Today, we're going to turn things around a little bit and consider what a pastor should be able to expect from a local church because it's what God expects from a local church. And first and foremost, we want to direct your attention this morning to this fourth chapter of Ephesians, but I also would like to put a plug in for this book entitled, I Am a Church Member. It's, it's a book I bought several years ago and kind of had it sitting on my shelf. Never got around to reading it for one reason or another. You probably don't have any books like that at your house. But, uh, but at any rate, uh, several months ago, pulled it out sat through and read it in one sitting. It's about 65, 70 pages long, something like that. But uh, Tom Rainier hits on the head what being a church member is all about. And I thought at this point in, in our church's life, as we uh, get ready to bring in a new pastor here to turn the reins over to somebody else, that uh, it, it would be good to have the church giving some thought to what could we be doing preparing as a congregation to follow whoever God may bring into that position, whether somebody already on staff or whether it be a brand new person, whatever that might be. So I encourage you, pick the book up, read it, they're free, one for a household, if you and your wife are, are you know, are going to fight over it, go ahead and take two, that's all right, but uh we should have enough there for everyone. If for some reason we do run out and you don't get one, please let us know in the church office and we'll see to it that we, we get one for you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like to begin reading this morning at verse 11, talking about Jesus. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We'll stop there and maybe get to some of the other parts of it later on. But uh, from that passage, it would seem that there are at least six expectations God has of a local church. God, first of all, expects the church to be made up of believers. God expects believers in a church to function like the parts of a, a body. God expects a striving towards Christ-likeness among all the parts of the church. And God expects stability in truth in a day when there's all kind of false teaching and error out there. And God expects truth joined with love. And God expects unity and cooperation. 
So you got the whole sermon there. If we don't get to all of it, at least you've seen the, seen the major points anyway. But first of all, we find that God expects the church to be made up of believers. Uh, you don't get to be a Christian by going to church. We get to be a Christian by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him as our Savior. In verse 1 of chapter 4, it speaks about uh, walking worthy of, of the, that which we, to which we were called. People that are parts of a church are, are called by God. They become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, a, a fitting definition for a church would be uh, coming from the Greek term ekklesia, which means called out ones. It's an organized body of called out, baptized believers united in like precious faith for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission, observing the ordinances, maturing the believers, and enjoying Christian fellowship. That definition didn't come from Webster. That definition is based upon what we read in the New Testament about what a local church is all about. And we find out that it is a, a body of called out, baptized believers, people that know Christ as Savior. Here in chapter 4, it talks about the, uh, one of the roles of the pastor teacher is to equip saints so that saints can do the work of the ministry. And the term saint, whether you know it or not, refers to every believer. You say, well, I'm no saint. Well, if you're not a saint, you're not a Christian. Because the term saint does refer to every believer. We become a saint by putting our faith in Christ. It means holy one, called out, separated to God, separated from sin. So the first thing that God expects is that our church be made up of those who know Christ as Savior. In fact, if you tell me this morning you'd like to become a member of the First Baptist Church of Carroll, uh, one of the first things we're going to ask you is, have you come to the place in your life yet where you've accepted Christ as your own personal Savior? Because if you haven't, you need to take care of that issue first. We need to know Christ to save you. You'll look at Acts chapter 2, and it says, Those that gladly received Peter's word, the gospel, as he preached it, were baptized, and then they were added to the church. Believe, baptized, added to the church. You go down a little bit later in that passage in verses 46, 47, and it says there that those who were saved, as many as were saved, were added to the church. So one of the things we expect is that every member of the church be a Christian, know Christ as Savior, and then we might add to that that we act like Christians too. That's what the rest of the message is about. But God expects that we already be believers, and anybody that thinks they're going to become a Christian by joining some church or attending some church, it's not going to happen. Just like going into a garage doesn't make you a car, Going into a church, any church doesn't make you a Christian. We find that secondly, God expects believers in a church to function like the parts of a body. We need to be serving Christ and others. It says here that the pastor teachers, evangelists, and before that apostles and prophets equip saints for the work of ministry, serving our, our role within the body is to be part of the body. The Bible says that uh, we're part of the body of Christ, and we work to build up the body. We uh, should not be looking to be served like the members of a country club. Uh, Tom Rainier uses this illustration in his book, I Am a Church Member, and boy, it, 
it, it really hit home with me when I read that, that particular figure. Uh, sometimes people join a, a country club or maybe another type of club, and, and the thing they're interested in is they want to know, what's it going to do for me? If I join this country club, do you have a swimming pool where I can swim? Do you have a golf course where I can play golf? Do you have a tennis course where I can play tennis? Do you have a restaurant where we can, where we can eat? And when people join a country club, they're focused on receiving, not giving. They're focused on their, their rights more than responsibilities, and they're focused more on entitlements rather than sacrifice. Well, as you read the New Testament about what being part of a, a body is like, the body of Christ, the church, it's just the opposite, folks. And, and if you become a member, are a member of the First Baptist Church of Carroll, it, it shouldn't be a matter of looking, what can I get out of it? But rather, what can I give? God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the different kind of gifts and abilities God has given to every Christian. And God expects of every one of us as Christians to, to serve, to use those gifts to build up the body, to not be looking to get, to receive. What can the church do for me? What can that body of believers do for me? By the way, the church, you realize, is not the building. It's the body. It's the people. Uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Chris and I attended a, a conference of the MARBC this past Monday and Tuesday, and it was at Forest Hills Baptist Church, and I loved their sign. It, it, on the sign it said, The Meeting Place of Forest Hills Baptist Church. I like that. This building and not the church. You're the church. We, we could go meet in the gymnasium and we'd still be the church. God could burn this place down tomorrow and we could meet out in Lucere's barn and we'd still be the church. It's not the meeting place. It's, it's the people and it's people serving each other at, like, like parts of a body. We're all different. We all have different abilities and, and, and gifts that God's given to us and different interests. And we need to use those gifts that God's given to us to serve others, not get for ourselves. We have responsibilities. It's not the rights of a church member, but what, what, what does God expect me to do? And am I willing to sacrifice in order to help others be built up in the body of Christ? That, that's what God expects. That's what being part of a church family is all about. The, the words serve and servant are used 115 times in the New Testament. One of them is used 57 and one's used 58. And so you get the idea that God's plan for his people is that we be looking to serve. We be looking to serve others. In fact, that's God's plan even for leaders in the church. The disciples were, were kind of arguing with each other as far as which one's going to be greater in Christ's kingdom. And the Lord takes them and he says to them that uh, you've got it all wrong. The, the Gentile leaders look to lord it over each other, but that's not so in, in my plan, in my program. In fact, if you want to be the leader, you've got to become servant of all. You've got to serve for the interests of everyone. He who wants to be first has to become last and serve others. That, that's true whether it's leadership in the church, whether it's leadership in the family, New Testament teaches, and the Old Testament as well, teaches that 
the husband has the responsibility to be the leader in the home. If you don't agree with that, I'm sorry. It's not me you're fighting with, it's God and what his word has to say. But that doesn't mean that the, the father is the, and the husband is the dictator to just run everything for himself, but rather he's the servant leader. In fact, he's called upon to love his wife like Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. The, the, the father and the husband has the responsibility to care for his, his family, to serve them, not to operate everything in the home for his own benefit and his own enjoyment, but rather to help make his family a successful family for the glory of God. And so it is within a church. pastor has the responsibility as he leads the church to be the servant, to serve the other members of the body so that we can reach what God would have us to be. So we find that God's plan is for serving. God also expects a striving towards Christ-likeness. That's what it's all about. You and me becoming like Jesus. Talks about it in this passage. Talks about growing up into the, uh, to the, the likeness of Christ. Becoming to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's God's goal for you and me. We become fully like Jesus Christ. I have to confess something. I haven't completely made it yet. But I've also realized neither have none of you. But you know what? Honestly, I can share with you. I'm striving for that. I want to be like Jesus. You ought to be striving for that. God's working in our lives that way. That's God's plan for us. That's God's purpose for us. In Romans 8, 28, it says that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to His purpose. And what's it say in the very next verse? It says His purpose is that we become conformed to the image of His Son. I would tell you that this morning that better than you being rich is that you be like Jesus. Uh, better than you be, and more important than you being of perfect health is that you be like Jesus. God helps us along the way. As we strive to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, God helps us. He brings things into our lives to, for us to deal with, to help us become more and more like the Savior. And in fact, to become more like Christ, we have to get to know Him better. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 that he... His desire was to know Christ, know the, the power of His resurrection, know the fellowship of His suffering. The, the better you know the Lord Jesus, the more you'll become like Him. And God's plan, God's purpose is for you and me to be a church full of people that are striving to be like Jesus Christ and succeeding a lot of the time. And I'll tell you what, if we are a church of individual people who are striving to be like Jesus Christ and demonstrating Christ-likeness in the community and the way that we get along with each other, you know what? That, that's the strongest advertisement that we can have. If we go out in the community and go to work and go to school and, and, and go out and rub elbows with people all week long and we're like Jesus and people know that we're part of First Baptist Church of Cairo, you know what? They're going to be drawn to that. They're going to be drawn to that. And, and that's where we better, ready be, better be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us, like we're told in 1 Peter chapter 3. We find that our mission as First Baptist Church 
This church exists to develop Christ-centered. You see that? Emphasis, Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. It's all looking about Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Christ. Christ-centered, cross-driven disciples by worshiping the triune God, evangelizing the lost, and building up one another in the family of God while we're working together in a biblical and a Christ-like way. You know that sometimes you can do right things in the wrong way. You, you can want to correct somebody. Maybe they're doing something wrong. We've got to be careful that we go to them in a Christ-like fashion with Christ-like love, don't we? we? We can try to do the right things and have good motives and good intentions, but if we're not doing it in Christ-like fashion, we're going to blow it. So it's so important that we be striving for Christ-likeness in every area of our lives and in the way that we interact as a church family as well. God expects stability. It talks here about uh, things that, that, can, that would attack that stability. It says we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. There's so much weird teaching that's out there in the world. And media and the Internet hasn't helped a bit, has it? It just sends more out there. People can come up with any wild idea, and they can put it out there for other people to read. Also beware of the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. God expects us to have some stability as a church family, to be stable. The gospel's unchanging. People want to try to twist things around and, and get us off in all kind of wrong directions as a church. The gospel's still the same. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Christ rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Our, our job is to get that message out that sinners who are lost and without hope in this world can experience the grace of God and put their faith in Christ. And salvation is by grace through faith. How sad it is when we look back through church history and we see in the dark ages how the doctrines that we talked about last week had been virtually lost to the European world. What a sad thing. What a wonderful thing when people began to get into the Word of God and began to see them once again. And thank God we have them so readily available to us today that we can know the truth. Our stability is in the inerrant Word of God. Uh, we got to always go back to the book. Always go back to the Word of God. You know, it's easy for us to... Uh, be controlled by the traditions of man. Uh, that was the problem with the Pharisees. That can be the problem with us if we are not careful. You know, when we start talking about maybe even something we don't like, you know, we all have our own preferences and, and so forth. And the fact that we may not like something doesn't mean that it's wrong. The question is always, what's, what's biblical? What's the Bible say? You know, is this my preference, or is this the Bible? What's the Word of God say? And we've got to keep coming back to the Scriptures. You know, we tend to sometimes bring cultural things into the, the church, and our, our, our culture's changing, folks, and we've got to keep ministering to the culture that we have. I loved one of the illustrations that, that Pastor Bob McNeil used at the, uh, at the conference this week. Yeah, they, they've got, uh, they got drums. 
at their church, Shelby Road Baptist Church. And uh, he said when they were going to get drums, he said he went to the senior saints class. He said, I got news for you. We're going to get drums. And I want some of you to pay for them. He said, I know you don't like drums. But you know what? Teenagers and young people in their music, they like drums. And in we're going to keep reaching young people and teens and so forth. Drums can be a welcome addition. And so even though you don't like drums, is, is that biblical that you don't like drums? Read the Psalms. It says, take any instrument and use it to glorify God and to praise Him. What's biblical? Not what I like, what I don't like. By the way, if you haven't seen it, we've got a drum set over there. We compromise. We've got an electronic drum set. Brian McHugh this morning has all the control over that with the up and down. I guess the drums weren't played this morning. But you know what? We, teenagers are important to us. Young people are important to us. And the fact that somebody might say, well, I don't like, some people say, I don't like guitars. Is it biblical? We've got to keep going back. What does the Word of God have to say? Is it biblical? We don't want to get trapped into culture. What does the inerrant, authoritative Word of God have to say? We've got a continuing Great Commission. What are we about as a church? As a church, we're about making disciples all over the world and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then continuing to teach them to observe all the things that Christ has commanded. That's our job. And, and anything that we do needs to somehow relate to that. Can we somehow connect it to making disciples? Can we somehow connect it to come, having people come out and make a public profession of faith through baptism? Uh, that, that's our, our function. Our, our job hasn't changed. The Great Commission's not different than what it was when Jesus gave it. That's our stability. If we can keep that in mind, we'll stay on task. We'll stay on mission. I think sometimes churches have spiritual ADD. They get easily distracted and go off in this direction or that direction. We've got to be careful we don't do that. God expects stability in the truth. God expects truth joined with, with love. Verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we need to grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I'll tell you what, you can't be like Christ. And you can't be growing into what Christ is like if you don't have love. If you're not characterized by love. Jesus was characterized by love. That's what took him from, from heaven and brought him down here to this earth. By the way, to finish my story from a minute ago, I forgot. Uh, Pastor McNeil said he had four, four of the senior saints from that class come up and offer to buy the drums. And the whole thing there was about, was about unity. A widow lady bought the, an older widow lady bought the drums for their church. But it's all about the unity. And I appreciate the fact he was committed to something that I'm committed to here. I don't think we need to have three different worship services. You know, because, well, we have music for people over here, the kind that they like. We want music over here for people because that's the kind of music they like. You know what? If the early church could be united, uh, male and female, slave and free people, and bond and, and, bond and free, and, and Jew and Gentile, 
the church shouldn't divide over music. And it breaks the heart of God when it does. So sorry, I forgot to finish my story. Now it's finished. We're back to the place. We need to love each other like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it, truth joined with love. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Some, some people say, well, I just tell it like it is. Well, we got to realize every word that comes out of our mouth is falling on somebody else's ear, and we need to speak it in loving fashion. How's it affecting them? There are different ways you can say things, right? You, you can chew somebody up pretty badly and spit them out, or you can say it in a kind, compassionate way and do it that way. This love needs to be applied to our our thinking do we have renewed minds as we're told here verse 21 if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in love we put off concerning our former conduct the old man and we find that this love affects every aspect of it. it's applied to our, our speaking and it goes on down here to verses 29 and 30 it says let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. That love ought to be seen in our speaking, our thinking, and in our conduct. And it's all based in the truth. In fact, when we demonstrate this kind of love, Christ says when we demonstrate this kind of love to each other in John 13, 35, he says, by this, by the love you have for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. That's our badge of discipleship. How do we love other Christians? How do we let other people in the community know that we really are Christians, that we really are disciples of Christ? Well, largely, it's by the way that we love each other. It is so sad that some churches are known in a community because of the fights they have with each other. That ought not so to be. That doesn't please our God. That breaks the heart of God. God ought to be honored and glorified by the way that we love each other. In connection with that, in our love, God expects unity and cooperation. We're like the body. He uses that illustration here, and we find that he uses it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the body of Christ. We're, we're all different. How do you like it when parts of your body don't cooperate? Any of you have any body parts that don't cooperate sometimes? You know, you get up and you start to walk, and your knee goes out. That doesn't happen. You get, you get titanium knees. They don't go out like the, uh, like the flesh and bone ones do. But uh, when parts of our body don't cooperate, that, that, that's not good. It's not good. Well, when you eat something and whatever you ate is eating you, you know, you're just not digesting it. You've got irritable, it irritable bowel syndrome or whatever. How's that for right before dinner, huh? When, when your body doesn't function well together, how does that make you feel? Tough. Well, I wonder what Jesus thinks when members of his body don't function well together. 
We don't cooperate. We have to cooperate. Here's the picture here in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by, by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. It causes growth for the body, for the edifying of itself in love. Now, that's a mouthful in that verse. Just, just simplifying it, saying the body needs to work together to grow. The, the body of Christ needs to work together and, and grow. Grow in Christ-likeness, also grow in numbers as we reach out to other people as well. That, that figure of the body is a powerful thing. And sometimes we think if, if everybody in the church was just like me, this would be a whole lot better church. If everybody had the same likes and same preferences and same attitudes that I did, we'd be a whole lot better off. Amen? I think I might have heard one weak amen over there, and I won't even try to identify the voice. But you know what? That's not the way God plans it. We're all different. In fact, if you're married to somebody just like yourself, one of you is unnecessary. You know, you've heard the phrase, opposites attract. That's a good thing. You know, I married my wife because she likes the dark meat on the chicken, and I like the white meat. And I knew then we were compatible. <laughs> you know, we're not alike in a lot of ways, but we're compatible. We love each other. But boy, she's a lot different than I am. Any amens on that? <laughs> and my kids are thrilled about that. They're glad for that. We're different. But the Holy Spirit of God helps us to work together. Same thing's true in the body. Just think if your toes were like your fingers. Man, if you stubbed your toe and it was like your little finger, you'd shatter the thing. Uh, just think if your ears were in the place where your eyes are. Oh, man, the body's all different, right? They have all kinds of different parts, but they function together to do different things for the good of the whole body. And so it is in the church, the body. We're all different. God's brought people from different backgrounds with different ideas, different preferences, different ages. We all got to work together to build up the body, to glorify Christ. And that's the key to the whole thing, serving to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that you, you note as you go over there and you read 1 Corinthians 12, it talks there about our gifts that we have. You know, God's given different gifts to different people. And, and it gets down. And, and the problem they had in the church in Corinth was the people were exalting certain public gifts over other gifts and they're saying these gifts are much more important and Paul's trying to convince them no every part of the body every gift is important just like every part of our body is important you know even smaller parts I got a I got a splinter in a finger the other day you know and just that tiny little splinter in a very small part of my body it made it tough to do much of anything. If one small part of our body doesn't work the way it should, a gland doesn't operate properly, it throws everything out. Every part in the body is of great importance. And who made us the way we are? God did. Who gave us the gifts that he gave to us? God gives the gifts. He assigns the gift for Christ's glory. As he gets down to the end of the chapter, 
or this church that has been exalting various gifts and putting down other ones, he goes into the, the statement, he says, I show you a more excellent way. They were given all the attention to the gifts. And he gets down to the end of the chapter and says, let me show you a more excellent way. And you know the more excellent way he went on to? What do you read about in chapter 13? Love. Love. Now we read that at weddings. They all, how sweet. You know, here's what love is for the bride and the groom. You know the context there in 1 Corinthians? It's all about the church. All about the way the believers get along with each other. And if you want a pretty good biblical description of what love's all about, go home this afternoon and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you get a good picture of it. Love is essential. Love is putting the interests of the person that's loved ahead of our own interests, even to the place where we will give of ourselves. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? He loved us so much, he left heaven's throne for Calvary's cross so that we could benefit, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life and be with him in glory forever and ever and ever. And it cost him. It cost him dearly, didn't it? What's it costing you to help build up this local church? What's it costing you to help other believers grow in Christ? You know, it's costing us something. It's not a bad thing. I wrap things up. I am so thankful today. I stand before you as a very grateful man. I've had the opportunity to pastor two local churches in over 40 years of ministry. And I am thankful that the churches that I've pastored generally have fit this description that we talked about today. Christian people. Man, I would hate to pastor a church that was made up of a whole bunch of unsaved people. Wow. I'd hate to pastor a liberal church where they don't even preach the gospel. Where basically you've got to become kind of a, a counselor just trying to get people to work together. But when people really know Jesus and they love Jesus and they want to serve to serve Jesus, you know what? When we're different, it's all right. when we have differences, that means we can work them out. Because our common bond is that we love Christ and want to glorify Him. And I am so thankful. I thank God. And I thank you as a local church family for generally, not perfectly, not perfectly, none of us fit the, the, this bill perfectly, but generally being what God expects the church to be. And my, my continuing prayer is that this church would continue to be what God wants this church to be. And then what it lays out for us here in Scripture, that we know Jesus, that we want to serve Him. We're not looking to be served. We're looking to serve. How can I serve my Savior and show Him how much I love Him and appreciate Him? We love others. We cooperate. We're, we're unified. We're, we're, we're stable in truth. My prayer is the First Baptist Church of Carroll continue to demonstrate those qualities and abilities until Jesus comes. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the gift of the church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He's building his church, and we know the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and we're thankful for that. God, help us to be what you want us to be in this community and have an outreach around the world. 
And we know we have the evil one who battles against us, who would try to drive us apart, drive us away from the Savior, cause us to treat each other in selfishness instead of love. And God, we pray that's not going to happen. Help us to be unified in the love of Christ. And may Christ be glorified in all that's said and done. And Father, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, who may have somehow had the mistaken idea that they would just be part of a church or go to church, that that would make them a Christian. Father, I pray the Spirit of God would wake them up, show them their need of a Savior today. Lord, we ask these things. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.